Chapter 11, Crisis Management. When nighttime finally falls across the communal lands of New Eden, the Church of Reformed Saints comes alive with intense activity as the locals begin gathering in anticipation of the preacher's emergency sermon of the evening. With most of the people in attendance having no idea why this gathering has been called in the first place, many of the parishioners who are seated in the pews can be seen engaging in gossipy discussion with fellow neighbors and friends as they attempt to get an impression of why they've all been summoned. Despite the obvious confusion amongst them, most of the clamorous chatter from the 200 or so people in attendance is filled with infectious good cheer and virtuous merriment. But all it takes is one good look around the arcade of the church, and it's easy to see everyone can still feel a cloud of ominous trepidation hovering above them all. Finally, back from her meeting with Miko in the commons, Rose walks amongst the pews of the chapel, offering greetings with pleasant warmth to everyone she encounters. When asked about the reason for the emergency gathering, she simply replies that there's no need to worry and lets them know that the preacher will address everyone's concerns very soon. With nothing more offered in her response, the residents merely shrug it off and go back to discussing their own theories for the emergency meeting amongst themselves in the pews, leaving Rose free to continue roaming the nave. Standing in attendance around the perimeter of the inner sanctuary, Hugo and several other reckoners act as ushers as they help everyone find a seat so that the maximum capacity of the church can be reached in an orderly fashion. With the population of New Eden growing so fast in recent years, the available space for bodies in the chapel has been decreasing to the point that accommodating everyone with seats gets harder and harder with each sermon. Knowing that the church is due for a renovation anyway, Hugo makes sure to note a possible expansion of the chapel as something to address the next time the subject comes up in a meeting with the Council of Caretakers. But since there was more serious matters at hand that needed to be addressed, The idea quickly becomes an afterthought as a few more stragglers make their way into the church and get settled in as the sermon gets ready to begin. By the time Francis makes his way to the pulpit above the altar in front of the chapel name, the last of the laity is seated and the vociferous chatter among them can be heard finally beginning to die down. Dressed in a standard Genevan gown of ecclesiastical tradition, the preacher casually steps up to the podium and offers a charming smile to the crowd as he sweeps his gaze across the gathering with fond admiration. His flock had come a long way in the years after the rapture, and he was proud of how strong and resilient they had shown themselves to be in the face of such dire circumstances. Once the audience could see that the preacher was present in the chapel and ready to proceed, the clamorous prattle of those seated in the pews lowers in volume until no more than a few whispers and murmurs can be heard as Francis begins to speak. First of all, I would like to thank you all for coming out to our humble place of worship on such short notice. I know that we all have important duties and obligations that require our constant attention, so I'll do my best to keep this Mass as brief as possible tonight, he says with stoic bluntness as he continues. Tonight, you've all been summoned here to discuss matters of great importance that impact you all, matters I feel you should be made aware of so that we can face them together. But before we dive into all that, I would like to open with a prayer, so please bow your heads and join me in holy worship. Silently obeying the preacher's instruction with devoted enthusiasm, each member of the assembled audience inclines their head and closes their eyes to follow the prayer. An ambiance of ceremonious affirmation falls over the room as everyone opens their heart and spirit to receive the benevolent words of faithful worship with devout veneration. Satisfied with this unified response from the congregation, Francis begins the prayer with calm composure and humility. O Father in heaven above, we here in New Eden's Church of Reformed Saints want to thank you for the blessings 
that you grant us every day as we strive to live according to your will. We gladly surrender our lives to you in worship and praise as we gather and remember those who are not with us today because of the rapture you set forth with your divine plan. He says with humble pause. For those still with us who are sick, we ask for healing. And for those away from us, we ask for your blessing to be on them as you guide lost souls in need of salvation to this sanctuary of redemption that you have allowed to prosper with the hope of heavenly reward. We invite your beautiful Holy Spirit to move freely amongst us. Come dwell in each of our hearts. Comfort us. Guide us. Shelter and protect us as we face the hardships and lessons we must now endure as a test of spiritual worthiness. Please inspire us as we aspire to emulate your majestic ways so that we can humbly serve your eternal holy greatness. We ask all of this in your name as our Lord and Holy Father. Amen. Exclamations of individual praise can be heard throughout the pews as several parishioners erupt with holy proclamations ranging from amen to praise God to God is good. All over the church, several people can be seen jumping to their feet in applause as they tumultuously express their excitement for the preacher's heartfelt prayer. Francis stands in the pulpit and allows the raucous clamor to carry on for a few moments before using his hands to gesture for quiet again so he can continue. Once the tumultuous uliation of the congregation subsides to a quiet murmur that can't be heard above the level of a few whispers, the preacher continues speaking. So I want to start out by addressing the elephant in the room, because by now I'm sure that some, if not all of you among the congregation, know that a pair of outsiders have come to dwell amongst us recently. These newcomers, who were near death when our reckoners found them about to die at the hands of a ravager horde, were brought here and offered shelter among us. But unlike those of you who came to New Eden and accepted the invitation of sanctuary upon your arrival, one of those outsiders, a man of respectable boldness, decided to reject that invitation in such a violent way that he threatened to compromise the security and safety of our haven. Francis says with careful certainty as he utilizes another dramatic pause to sweep his icy blue gaze over those seated in the pews. When that happened, the violent newcomer was immediately disarmed, detained, and sent off to receive revelation. His female companion, who's recently requested asylum amongst us, has been confined to her living quarters under scrupulous supervision that not even the Lord himself could circumvent. He says with a tone of comedic charm that causes the congregation to chuckle a little in response. The detainment and harsh treatment of lost souls who the Lord has deemed worthy of redemption after the rapture is not something that I'm proud of, nor is it something I would wish to be necessary under the circumstances. But in order for us to protect all that we hold sacred, decisions had to be made so the anonymity of New Eden's existence could be preserved at all costs. But one thing I would like to make abundantly clear is that this newcomer is not a prisoner. He pauses once more letting his words resonate in everyone's mind before continuing. At some point, the outsider will be permitted to rejoin the community as a valued resident, but only when he understands and appreciates the importance of the policies and practices that we rely on to keep us safe. Until then, he'll be kept isolated and supervised with intense scrutiny and without reprieve. Francis says this part 
with a stone-hard tone of conviction as he brushes a few locks of his wispy white hair out of his face and continues scanning the laity with his shimmering blue eyes. So rest assured that the situation with the outsiders is under control and that no one has anything to fear from them as we continue to take all the necessary steps to protect New Eden from the threat of exposure. Several murmurs of assent become audible as the parishioners and attendants all nod with acceptance and approval as they listen to the preacher speak. The idea that someone will reject sanctuary at New Eden is an idea that the entire congregation perceives as blasphemous, so it's easy for them to agree with the preacher's line of reasoning and logic. Most of the people present have been residents of New Eden for many years, and they've become dependent on the policies of seclusion that keep them safe from the outside world. So it brings them comfort to know that the concealment of their community is being maintained at any cost. When the preacher resumes speaking, his tone takes a more somber tone as he segues into the next topic of discussion. Now, there's no easy way to say what needs to be said next. And as someone who's never been comfortable as the bearer of bad news, I prefer to just say what needs to be said and go from there. He says with an expression of sympathetic patience. Leaning forward in their pews and listening intently to Francis speak, the congregation seems to radiate with apprehension as they collectively try to anticipate what he'll say next. From her seat in the front pew, Rose surveys the room and sees some faces that look overly concerned, while others just look mildly curious. Most recently, it has come to my attention that a massive, super horde of ravengers, unlike anything we've ever seen, is on pace to be at our doors within the next week or so, give or take a couple days. Francis announces with a hint of fear in his voice. Loud gasps suddenly erupt throughout the chapel as everyone is caught off guard and thrown into panic. Clamorous shouting instantly fuels an outburst of agitated commotion among the parishioners as they explode with a litany of questions and concerns full of fear. Francis allows the drone of incoherent chatter to continue for several moments as he patiently waits for the uproar to die down long enough for him to continue speaking. I know the announcement of a new threat on the horizon is very frightening and difficult to process, but nevertheless, it's a threat that you should all be made aware of since it affects us all. Yes, this is a threat that will require us to use all our combined strength and resources if we have any hope to prevail, but have no doubt we will prevail. He says resolutely with infectious confidence that inspires many among the congregation to regain their composure doing his best to help quell the loud murmuring that was persisting to still be heard over the preacher's words. Hugo and a couple of his reckoner comrades circulate throughout the chapel and help everyone settle down so that the preacher can resume his speech without fighting to be heard over the ceaseless muttering of the congregation. As long as we keep faith in our Lord and hold true to our beliefs and principles that have allowed us to survive this far, we have nothing to fear as we walk through this valley shadowed by death. As we speak, several strategies for responding to this threat are currently in motion, and with a little luck, we'll be able to implement a plan of attack within the next 72 hours. If we need them, we will not hesitate to ask for volunteers to help implement that plan of attack, since using every resource at our disposal will likely increase our chances of success at eliminating this herd of ravagers before they reach us. Slowly, People in the crowd can be seen starting to nod their heads with understanding as they see the preacher has a plan for managing the impending crisis that's marching down upon them. His strong tone and vibrant charisma make it easy for the parishioners to feel secure and at ease as they listen to him lay everything out for them to know. Remember, we're all in this together, 
So rest assured that the caretakers of New Eden are hard at work addressing this problem with assiduous care and that we won't stop until the threat has been eliminated once and for all. Francis says with his right fist clenched and raised in the air as his sharply colored blue eyes sparkle with sincere conviction. Amen, Reverend. A voice can be heard shouting with affinity from somewhere in the congregation. With their worries temporarily assuaged for the moment, the congregation explodes into a commotion again, but this time with a standing ovation of applause and good cheer as they allow the preacher's words to boost their morale and spirit with intense invigoration. Again, the preacher smiles enigmatically at the audience as he basks in their praise and cheer with great satisfaction. Just as he expected, he was able to deliver the truth of recent events to the community in such a nuanced way that he was able to keep everyone calm and under control. Even though the trials and tribulations they must face have yet to manifest as a real threat, this was still a very crucial victory in the eyes of Francis and the other caretakers considering the alternative could have been a very unpleasant one if his strategy of transparency had backfired. The uproarious chorus of cheers and sanctified prayers continue for several more minutes as the congregation expresses their spiritual enthusiasm without restraint. Once the maelstrom of holy hymns finally begins to die down, the preacher takes the opportunity to thank everyone for coming on such short notice and closes with another prayer before ending service. As the service concludes and the preacher steps down from the pulpit to walk amongst the pews, the parishioners hang around socializing with one another and discuss the information they have been given. Once half an hour or so passes, everyone finally begins to disperse from the chapel and return to the commons for the evening, leaving Francis and the 11 other caretakers and Hugo of the Reckoners at the church alone. When they were satisfied that everyone had and indeed departed, the council of caretakers leave the church nave and traverse to a private conference room where the conclave can speak without any interruption. As soon as they're all settled into a seat around the large rectangular table in the center of a plain and empty room, a middle-aged caretaker by the name of Wyatt is the first to break the silence hanging in the room. So give it to us straight, Francis. How much should we really be worried about this whole Ravager situation? He says with a yawn of exhaustion as he continues speaking. Because I have to say, from what I heard out there, it doesn't sound like there's a whole lot of reason for concern. Is that so? What would make you think that? Francis asks as he leans back in his chair and removes a few stray locks of wispy white hair from his line of sight so a clear view of his face can be seen. Well, from what you said in there, Wyatt says with a thumb raised over his shoulder toward the nave of the church, this horde of ravengers that was discovered seems to be far enough away that the chances of them ever becoming a problem for us are slim to none. In my opinion, it sounds like that if we don't do anything to attract attention to ourselves, it's very likely this horror will pass us by and never even know we were here. This is something that was considered before bringing the news to the public, Wyatt. But after careful consideration of all the available information delivered by the Reckoners, it became obvious to me that avoiding the problems this horde represents in one way or another isn't going to be possible. Just the sheer size of it alone is problematic enough. How big of a horde are we talking here? came the inquisitive female voice of another caretaker, Arissa. A few thousand at the very least, give or take a few hundred, all of whom which are traveling on a path that will eventually lead them directly to us unless we stop them, Francis replies directly to Arisa. At the very least, they'll be in our general proximity, and with all the activity that goes on here day to day, it will only be a matter of time before they're drawn to New Eden. So make no mistake, this threat is very real and very grave. 
This causes everyone in the room to pause for a moment as they try to wrap their minds around the implications of the preacher's words. It doesn't take long for them to recognize that this is indeed a crisis that requires their urgent attention. Okay, with that established, I guess the next obvious question is, what are we going to do against such a massive threat? I mean, it's not like we're anywhere near equipped enough to repel a force of that magnitude without extreme loss of life. So what options do we really have? Wyatt says with palpable doubt audible in his voice. And that, my friend, is why I invited Hugo here to this gathering tonight. He believes he may have a possible solution to the problem that will require the blessing of this collective before it can proceed. Taking the cue without hesitating, Hugo steps forward from his position against the wall as he removes a folded piece of wrinkled paper from his vest pocket and spreads it out on the table in front of the caretakers. Once the paper is unfolded at the center of the table, everyone recognizes the faded parchment as a state map of Ohio that's roughly 12 inches by 15 inches in size with several circles visible in various locations near the southern border of the state. Using his right index finger to point to a circle just beyond the Ohio border in West Virginia, Hugo begins addressing the caretakers with a calm and patient tone of voice. Here's the estimated location of the Ravager Horde that was sighted late last night while Reckoner patrols were executing their routine scout patterns. Reports describe the army of Ravagers as being condensed in long ranks and files that cover roughly half a mile of distance from one end of the pack to the other, he says while making eye contact with everyone seated at the table. Once the threat had been ascertained to be a reasonable degree, Patrols elected to hold their position so they can monitor and assess the horde's rate of travel, which they confirmed to be approximately three miles per hour. At this pace, if unhindered, they could reach New Eden in as soon as five or six days, but no more than eight, he says, still speaking in a very calm and diligent manner. Now moving his right index finger to another one of the circles on the border of Ohio, Hugo goes forward with his detailed breakdown of the situation uninterrupted. Thanks to the massive Ohio River that traces the border of the state, there are very few places that a massive legion of ravagers like this can cross over into the state on foot. Right here is the only bridge within 100 miles of their location that would permit them to enter Ohio and continue their expected trajectory toward us. This means that this bridge on the I-950 freeway is the only thing standing between New Eden and an army of ravager scum. These words hang in the air briefly as each of the caretakers visualizes what an army of ravagers storming down upon New Eden would look like if left unopposed. Stark expressions on faces full of fear begin to reveal themselves as everyone present finally begins to understand how ugly this situation can really get. So, with that in mind, I think our best option is to use the bridge to our advantage and directly target it for an attack to wipe out the entire horde before they even get close to us. He states with clear confidence that glints in his round, brown, colored eyes as he looks around the table at each of the caretakers. And how exactly do you propose we do that, Reckoner? Please don't keep an old man in suspense. This time, the question is uttered by an older male Colombian caretaker named Raphael, who smiles politely at Hugo from the farthest corner of the table as he makes his remark. Returning the cordial smile with an inclined head of respect, Hugo proceeds. I propose we set a trap. We lure the sons of bitches onto the bridge, and when they're all in position, boom, we blow the whole thing to smithereens and watch them fall to a satisfying, watery death below. Problem solved forever. Language, Hugo, Francis says with a slight chuckle of mirth. Sorry, father. Hugo responds with a smirking chuckle of his own. But all jokes aside, trust me when I say I believe this is our only shot at eliminating the horde before they end up right on our front doormat. Every option after that drops New Eden's chances of survival to almost zero. 
Taking a moment to consider his brief proposal carefully, each member of the caretaker council weighs the plan's risks and rewards with great care. For a few moments, no one in the room speaks or responds until Rose breaks the soundlessness of the room with a question of her own. I, for one, think this plan indeed sounds like our best option for protecting our home, but I'm curious. Why would you feel that such a plan required you to get the unanimous support of all the caretakers? Surely my husband wields enough authority to sanction such a mission in the best interest of New Eden, and none among us would challenge such an action. So I'm confused as to why this meeting was necessary, she says with a smooth, meek tone to her words. Well, to be honest, I felt this plan needed the full blessing of the council because this bridge is not only key to the Ravagers, it's key to us as well, he responds with solemn clarification. If we blow this bridge up, all of the major supply routes that we've carved out for ourselves in West Virginia will be made inaccessible to us from our side of Ohio's border. Without the bridge, we'd be required to make some serious detours in order to reestablish those routes in the future. Detours of this magnitude will demand months and months of manpower thanks to all the stopped traffic and wreckage left behind by the rapture. So that's why I felt like this was a decision that shouldn't be taken lightly and needed all of your blessings, he expresses very candidly. A dawning of recognition can be seen on the facial expressions of everyone at the table as they nod in acknowledgement and take a few more moments to mull over the information again. Knowing this was a very vital moment in the fate of New Eden going forward, Hugo allows the silence to go on until one of the caretakers decides to chime in with a question. What are the other circles you have on the map leading up to New Eden? Raphael asks curiously as he looks over the markings and tries to discern their importance on his own. These are four potential defense outposts we'll need to set up if for any reason we decide not to blow the bridge or if we fail in blowing up the bridge and they keep coming toward us. These outposts will basically be the last lines of defense before there's nothing we can do to stop them. Once they reach this point, we'll need to evacuate New Eden immediately if we want to live to prosper another day, Hugo declares with composed patience. So let's say we decide to go ahead and blow up the bridge. What are we supposed to blow it up with? Last time I checked, we didn't have any dynamite or explosives laying around, Wyatt says with more doubt shadowing his voice, but to a lesser degree than when he chimed in earlier. Ready with an answer already prepared for this question, Hugo snaps off a reply without hesitation. The answer to that question, Mr. Greenberg, is we go old school. We make a bunch of ammonium nitrate fertilizer bombs. All we need to do is cook up some nitromethane and find a lot of diesel fuel and that bridge will be toast. Give me half a dozen reckoners and a couple days to get set up, and that's all it will take to put this to bed, he comments with resolute certainty. Remembering her discussion with Miko from earlier this evening, Rose has a bright idea of her own that she decides to propose. How long do you think it would take for you to set up your tactical strike if you had actual military-grade explosives, Hugo? She remarks with an inquisitive glance in the reckoner's direction. It only takes him a couple seconds to calculate an approximate answer in response. With that level of incendiary arsenal, we could have it set up and ready to go in less than 24 hours, he says flatly. But unless you have a secret stash of explosives you've been saving for a rainy day or something, going with the fertilizer bombs is our best shot at bringing that bridge down. Well, no, I don't exactly have a secret stash of explosives anywhere, but I recently happened to come across some intel that suggests that there might be some available at a military substation just south of Columbus, which is only a couple hours away from us. Rose responds as she turns her eyes to face the preacher, who is silently observing the entire discussion with an expression of deep consideration. And how did you come across this intel, my dear? Francis inquires intently. It was offered to me by Miko, the female outsider who came here with Fonte. 
As you know, I spoke with her earlier this evening, and one of the things we discussed was intel about a military station that she had planned to scout out before her path brought her here. She submitted this information to me in good faith, hoping that it would prove her value to the community. If she's right about the possibility of explosives being there, it could be the key to saving us all, Rose replies. This elicits a nod of recognition from the preacher as he offers a glance of warm affection to his wife, who is already turning her attention back to the rest of the caretakers seated at the table. I believe we've come to a juncture in the discussion where we should go ahead and cast a vote on whether or not we're in favor of attacking the bridge, because if we're not in favor of such an action, going any further on this path of conversation will be a waste of time as far as I'm concerned. So let's address that first. Several murmurs of agreement can be heard around the table as everyone gradually comes to the same consensus that Rose has. With everyone in concurrence with each other, Francis takes it upon himself as master caretaker to call the vote. Will all those in favor of attacking the bridge and dealing with the consequences please raise your hand and cast your vote? He says with composed posture as he sits upright in his chair with an upright hand and looks upon his fellow caretakers. One by one, each caretaker raises their hand alongside the preacher as they again express their unanimous agreement on the matter. With that out of the way now, Francis turns his attention to Hugo and declares the next course of action. Now that we're all in agreement on how to proceed, at dawn, I want Hugo and a small team of reckoners to leave and go scout out this military station. If there ends up being anything we can use in our fight against the Ravengers, the outsider Miko will have earned the trust of this council and she will be granted asylum among us. He comments evenly as he moves on with his instructions. In the meantime, just in case the military station turns out to be a waste of time, Wyatt will commission the resources necessary to build the fertilizer bombs, and my lovely wife Rose will be responsible for requisitioning volunteers to help construct them as quickly as possible. That way we have all of our bases covered on that front, and we can move forward with whatever plan comes to fruition in the first 48 hours. Sweeping his eyes across the table to face two other caretakers, the preacher continues speaking with even rhythm. Raphael and Ariza, I want you both to start gathering emergency rations with enough water to last a few weeks in case it becomes necessary to evacuate New Eden. Be sure we have enough organized escape routes and spots of refuge we can move residents to as well. I want every angle of this covered. Everybody else, just do your best to keep the residents calm and peaceful, but ready for action at a moment's notice. The last thing we need is the community to come unhinged with hysteria, but we need them to be prepared just in case the worst case scenario actually happens. Again, nods of consensus are offered by each caretaker as they each accept their individual roles in the plan without complaint. If no one else has any issues they would like to raise at this time, then I will officially bring this conclave to a close so we can get home and get some shut-eye. The next few days are going to be long ones, so we should probably get some rest while we can. When it becomes clear that there are no other issues that need to be discussed for the time being, Francis bids everyone farewell for the night and dismisses the caretakers to be on their way. With a plan of action for addressing the Ravager horde now solidified and agreed upon by the entire council, Francis locks up the chapel for the night and heads to his cabin northward, feeling immense satisfaction on the outcome of tonight's undertakings. And why shouldn't he? With the newcomer situation addressed and the Ravager horde being targeted for destruction, the foundation of peace and privacy that has allowed New Eden to exist all these years will continue to protect this flock, so there was little for him to be anxious about otherwise. Too bad for him and everyone at New Eden that this peace and privacy within the community will not be things that last much longer over the days to come. A storm is coming, and there's nothing that any of them can do to stop it.